Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Tuesday night. Um, I'm going to do the Haftar first. Uh, this week is being sponsored, these two, by, uh, Mrs. by the Rechtan family, Mrs. Rechtan. <clears throat> Thank you very much. I see it's in honor, or in the memory, I should say, of the yard site of the father and the father-in-law. So today or yesterday, 27 Adar, I guess that's today, um, unless you go by the Jewish calendar, uh, is the yard site of her father-in-law. That was Dr. Rechtan's father, Arguelay ben Yol Paltiel. Um, yeah, I remember, with some cousins, you know, it's weird, I'm going, I've gone to, I think, as happens, four or five Shiva houses, you know, that's how it goes, uh, in the last week or more, a little more, and it's weird, a bunch of them come from, like, cousins area, it's, it's, it's strange, uh, Professor Shapiro, and this one, that one, you know, it's, uh, strange, anyway, uh, Ayla Ben Yolpatil was, is from Kuznets. That's the Kuznetzer Magid. Some of you have heard about that. I know, to the listeners, one Polish town seems like another. Same thing with Ukraine. What can I help? You know, nowadays, if you want to, you go, go online. You can check out a map of Poland and find out. Whatever. Uh, and she writes that he had a very difficult childhood. This, he was, notice he was in the Holocaust. He had a difficult childhood because his mother died early when he was a toddler. Oy vey. And his father remarried. They were very poor. And um, he got married before the war. And then lost his family in the war. Like my, my father, same way. Lost the family in the war. And suffered greatly in the camps of his Auschwitz way too long. You know, uh, the Polish, uh, I've said many times before, the Polish Jews had it worse than anybody else because they were directly under Hitler from 39 to 45, which is longer than anybody else. Um, I mean, that's that's a hell beyond the hell. It's bad enough for the Hungarians who were there for a year. That's terrible also. Imagine, I don't want to imagine, you know, 39 to 45. We actually have a document that says he was in the camp and liberated there. Like many survivors, he remarried after the war, lived in his country over here, spent his last years in Baltimore. And uh, look, he had the Nachas to see the children. I mean, that's all it is. He used to dive in the hurts with my shoulder. That's before my time, though. That's before my time. So, a Polish uh, who, went to, who went through the war, and like so many others, like I say, like my uh, my parents, you know, they remarried after the war. They 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 rebuilt, you know. Um, some became a big surgeon, and it's, it's, uh, it is, you know. Uh, this is the story of our time. This is the positive story. Nebuch, there are plenty of people survived the war. I had relatives also, and they didn't marry after the war, you know, for emotional reasons. For this, I'm not here to judge anybody, because that's ridiculous. But it's a it's a double tragedy. It's a double tragedy. Those that didn't. Uh, rebuild after the war. <laughs> anyway, pay tribute to the memory. Now let's take a look at the Haftorah. As I mentioned last week, Ms. Rechtan finished uh, Malachim, and this Haftorah is all Malachim. When you go, you know, in the book of Malachim, there's not, not a giant, but there is a fairly extensive description of how King Solomon built the base of Midrash. And the problem is it's disjuncted in the sense that there's Truma, Tetzava, uh, Vayaka, Pekude. Those are the four parshas in the Chumash. 
and of course deal with the building of the Mishkan. And so some of these Haftorahs, Ashkenazic, Sephardic, are from chapter 6, 7, 8, you know, the chapters in the Book of Kings, which have about Shlomo Melch building based in Mish, but it's not tit for tat, it's not exact uh, overlap, you understand? Um, so today's is sort of like a uh, a general about the actual ceremony. I mean, I guess it fits for Pekude, because in Pekude it says, Vayokem Moshe Samishkan, the uh, culmination of partials when Moshe actually puts everything together. Uh, it's nice to build it, and it's nice to have it in storage, but then to put it together is the Iker. And Shlomo Melch, of course, after he builds it, he throws this huge uh, celebration, which is a lot of what the Haftor is about today. I, my intention would be, I would direct you to uh, two or three items, which shows you have to, have to read the, the Tanakh uh, closely, in, in, in my opinion. And that would be, um, first of all, when it starts at the very beginning, so it says that, uh, you know, the end of 51, but Tishlam Kalmalacham, Tishlam Melch finished all this stuff, and um, he was loaded. He had an unlimited checkbook. Um, and he able then did something which I think personally is a little crass, but he considered classy. And that's the following. It's the very first Pasuk of our, of our uh, Haftorah. It's a little bit funny. And that is the following. David and Melk, when he was alive, and I've mentioned this a number of times, was obsessed with building the base of Migdash. That was his big goal. As we all know, their bonus Shalom said, you can't build it. You know, your hands are full of blood and so forth. That's well known. So instead of simply saying, what a bummer, he was so into the project that he devoted the rest of his life to doing everything except build it. He did everything but. Is it called shovel ready? Is that what they call it? You know, when, you, when, when, when the project is ready to go? I think that's what you call it. And he wanted it to be like that. And so during his lifetime, when he had wars, it says all this in Dibrayim, when he had wars and other occasions, he got gold and silver and copper and iron and brass and this and that and the other, and slaves. <clears throat> and whew, he amassed it for the future project of building base in Megish, which is interesting, because he knew in his lifetime it'll never happen. Hashem told him. However, he wanted his son. Hashem also said, you can't build it because your hands are full of blood, but your son will build it. So, all right, okay, that's Nechama, you know, right? You know, that's pretty good. Not me, but my son will succeed me. Fine. And so, he amassed all this material, and as we know from Dibriyam, he wrote the music, he composed the the, the, the the choir songs, what you and I call Tehillim, you know, Hayom Yom Shlishim Shabbat, Hayom Yom Beis HaMikdash, Hayom Ravi, and so forth. And he, I don't know, you know, organized the Kohanim and the, all the Mishmars, so basically, it was, it was a magnificent obsession that he wanted to do everything possible how to run and how to build a base of Megish. The only thing is he can't himself build it. And there's a passage there which says, then when he's old, he tells Shlomo, it's all ready to go, just push the button. But Shlomo doesn't do it exactly that way. He was 12 years old and became king. And it, it took him a couple years before he, he got around to building the base of Megdush. And Shlomo was so rich because you can read about it in the book of Malachim, that he based his attitude was like this. My father, you know, was a good guy, but obviously he wasn't in the real rich league. <laughs> Get it? You know, he could he could afford to this, but I can afford to that. Okay? And, you know, David Malk had 18 wives, Shlomo had 1,000 wives. That gives you an idea of what we're talking about. So the guy was loaded beyond loaded. And so, from his own resources, he could financed the whole operation, and he did do so. 
But then what happened to all that cash and physical stuff, the gold, the silver, the, the diamonds, whatever, that David amassed? So he said he, he put it like in a room in the base of Migdash. You get it? In other words, my father, who never wasn't really rich, I mean, my father was rich. He wasn't into serious money, as they say. Not serious money. Look, he wasn't as rich as Muncie, but, you know, serious money. And um, so as a, as a commemoration, I'm taking all the stuff that he put decades in and putting it into a room in the base of English. Shlomo finished his project. The Shlomo now brought into the new temple as a kesef, as a zov, as a kalim, nasim Hashem. He put in the otzer, like you see in the basement, or or something like that. Meaning, he put it into, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, how shall I say it? Um, you know, some kind of treasury room, like a bank vault, or something, something like that. Now, Rashi doesn't want to learn like that. Rashi, because it's a little bit insulting. And Rashi says, Mashanisha Mikesev Shekdish Dovid. That he used his father's stuff and whatever was left over. All right. But I don't think so. It sounds like, I mean, if I can say so, I, I think that's what I said. He, to him, it was classy that people should see as an act of filial piety. This is who my father was. He put it all away, but I don't need it. Okay? Now, Rashi does quote a medrash, right? A psikdav. That he didn't want to use David and Melch's money because he saw that the base image was going to be destroyed. Okay? Um, okay. Uh, and, and it even goes farther and says that Shlomo had a tiny on his father. And this is actually fascinating. Uh, in the reign of David, he had many incidents, and one of them was a great famine. And a lot of people died in the famine. During my father's reign, there was a three-year famine. And so, my, it, it's almost like a Chavetz Chaim type word, like Yisrael, it's like Yisrael Salanter type word. Which I don't, I mean, listen, you know, Rashi has it okay, but it's a little strange. It's a beautiful word, but it doesn't strike me like the type of person that Shlomo was at all. And what he means is as follows. David Amalek had in mind and if it's true, then it's really putting a certain stigma on David and Elch. And that's the following. He was so obsessed with the building of the temple, even though he knew himself that he can't do it, that he squirreled away all this money and gold and silver and this and that and the other. And he didn't want it to be used for anything else. It should only be for the base of Migdash. So basically it should be like a David building. It should only be for the base of Migdash. But during his reign... There was a couple of famines here and there. There was one famous one for three years. Uh, and even if the Chazal say it wasn't exactly three years, but it was a long time. And in the Middle East, if there's a famine, then people die. And David and Melch had all this cash, all this money. And what he should have done was say, heck with the base of Milish, I'm giving this out for the Armalite, for the poor people, they should have something to eat. And he did not do that. He squirreled it away. Say, if that's true, I say it's if. If that's true, it puts an interesting light on David because the mamash was obsessed with this. Because how do you justify that? Let me put it this way. You can be sure. You've heard many stories, and they're true stories, that Reb Chaim Brisker, Reb Salanter, and many others, they sold the Sefer Torah, they pawned something, they hocked it, they took all the silverware, 
to, to get a yid out of jail, to get him out of the army, to help a poor family, something like that, right? And because you see like this, all this stuff is Kodesh, no question about it, but a Jewish life comes first. <laughs> you understand? By us. At least, you'd think, you'd think, you'd think that the most important thing is this. Matter of fact, that's a very noble story. One day, I'm sure there must be a Pirche story or something like this, that a guy saved a lot of money to have a big chasana, and, you know, he, squ- he scraped away, and this, that, and the other, and then he heard of a poor family and he gave all the money for the family. I've heard stories like that, right? I'm not making it up now. I've read stories like that. And you say like this, that person has priority straight. Here, Rashi is saying, it's not me, it's Rashi. Yeshomrim. He's saying, you know, David Melch wouldn't share it with the poor. And so people starved because he wanted to keep it for the base of Middush. According to this Rashi, Shlomo, his son, disapproved of his father's conduct. And therefore he declined to use David's goods to build the base of Middush. Isn't that remarkable? And so instead, what he did was, not the way I said it, which is my opinion, but, you know, which is, I don't need it because I'm so rich. Whatever my father did, you know, he could he could buy a very fancy Chevy. I can afford it. I don't know, this and that and the other. So, you know, he put it as, as, as a sign of piety. Uh, Rashi here is quoting, <coughs> excuse me, that, that David acted wrong. He got too into this, if I can use that expression. You know, David got too into this. He shouldn't have been so much into the building of this building, even if it's the most important building in the world, which it is. Okay? Listen, the most important building in the world. But a poor Jew should have come first. The Aniyah Yisrael, who were starving and maybe died from the starvation, that's where the money should have gone to. And to show that he disapproved of this, you know, Shlomo refused or declined to use that money. And instead, it says, He put in the oats, like in, in, in the bank department, or whatever it is, of, of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? Now, um, that's quite a statement, okay? That's quite a statement. Apparently, it's, it's all in the Besikta, in the Chazal, and, you know, whatever it is. To tell you the truth, it makes me... I, I have trouble buying into it, because it doesn't sound like the Shlomo Melk that we see. But I could totally be wrong. I like that shot better than the one that says the Shlomo foresaw that Beis Amish would be destroyed. Because it's hard to see the Shlomo Melch, who was on such a high, could foresee that this Beis Amish is going to be destroyed. You know, and, and there's no mention of it whatsoever in the text. But look, we're dealing with big things over here. And I'm just sharing you with the idea. So look at that. Just in the very first passage, which looks very boring, it's not boring at all. You have to be eyeing it a little bit. And I'm only scratching the surface over here. I'm not going to, you know, all the different Mepharshim and so forth, and then calculating and working it out on the reign of Shlomo Melch versus the reign of David. That would be an assignment I would give students or something like that. But it's uh, it's 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 quite um, it's quite remarkable. Okay, it's quite remarkable. Now, by the way, the Radak I see says the same thing. Okay, I see the Radak has the same thing. So anyway, um, although. Looks to me, looks to me like the Radak puts a little spin on it. That's so interesting. That's interesting. You know what the spin, if I have this right, if I have this right, the Radak would put like a nice spin on it. And it'll be like this. Shlomo said, my father had all this money set aside. He refused to use it for the poor. 
I'm putting it away as a rainy day fund. If there's ever a famine in my time, we'll take that out and feed the poor, and that way it'll be like a tikkun or something like that. As he puts it over here, Let the stuff be shamor, be guarded, in my understanding, now I mean in case there's ever another famine, which of course there were. So it's unclear, and it's, it's one of several psikkim that's not 100% clear, and that's exactly one of the to talk about today. Then it says, So Shlomo then wouldn't have the, uh, the party to celebrate the temple. Now, listen to this, because it's all interesting. I'll tell you again, you have to read it closely, which is not what we're doing, but at least I'm doing more closely than su- superficial. And, you know, Moshe Menes said, Vayakal and Shlomo did Vayakal, Oz Yakel Shlomo. Who did he want to invite for the party? The answer is not everybody, the VIPs. He wanted the VIPs. Oz Yakel Shlomo, Zikne Israel, you know who that is. We say like this, the rabbis. It's Koroshi Amatos, the heads of the tribes. Nesie Ho'avaz of Israel. Elamel Shlomo Lahalos is Ambriz Hashem, Mir Davitzion. To be present for the dedication of the temple, which involved transitioning from the Mishkan to the base of Migdash, or whatever was left of the Mishkan. Mishkan had been destroyed by the Philistines, you may possibly recall. And the Battle of Ophek, back in the book of Shmuel Aleph, when before, um, before Shaul was king. Um, that's an important event that, that sort of hangs like a, a shadow over the whole book of Shmuel. But um, they were definitely thinking of building a base at Megdash. And um, and now, Shlomo is going to do it. So after he built the whole building, so he says that I'm inviting, and all the VIPs show up. Now listen very closely. So who gathered to Shlomo in the month when they dedicated it? Wait a minute. He didn't invite Kol Yishisrael. Now I have been in some chazanas like that where he invited so and so many people and all these other guys showed up. That's much what happened over here. It said in the beginning, right? It said in the beginning that, um, you know, he invited the VIPs, the Zikkanim and the Nassim and all this kind of business. But it says, they call Yishisrael. Pasuk takes the trouble to tell you that, which is kind of funny. Now, I noticed the Malbim is very cute. The Malbim indeed says like this, that Shlomo originally, let me find the Pasuk here in the Malbim. He knew the Kaddish of Zerah, Sarak Bezdin, and Zakanim, and this, that, and the other. But Gam Kibbeitz called Rashi Avos, Lekavod HaMelech, Lekavod HaOren. So Shlomo had a VIP list, Al's Kavod, you know, to make it an auspicious occasion. Al Yedezeh, Nikalu Klal Yisrael Miyatzmom. Get it? When the Jewish people heard that the king is throwing a huge operation, after all, it's a one-time deal, building the base of Migdash, dedicating the base of Migdash, they all dropped what they're doing, and they said, this is something we don't want to miss. Ah, you weren't invited? They showed up anyway. Have you ever crashed a wedding or something like that? In my time, I've done it a few times, I think, when I was younger. Uh, they crashed. <laughs> the Hamonam. I said, here's Shlomo. So yeah, it's actually a funny situation. He probably, you know, had a caterer ready for, I mean, just for argument's sake, let's say 10,000 people. You know, if you count up all the heads of the tribes and all the Rabbanim and this, that, and the other, let's just be generous and say 10,000 people. That's quite a catering job. And all of a sudden, 100,000, a million show up. Call Ishi's row. Holy cow. <laughs> they had to do some fast footwork over there because 
Yerushalayim was not that big yet. It was just the year David plus, uh, you know, uh, the brand new temple on Hire Maria. Uh, I'm sure people wasn't room to be in the city. And so just imagine, close your eyes and imagine what Jerusalem was like in the time of the dedication of this temple operation. From everywhere people showed up and obviously pitched pitched tents outside the city as far as the eye can see. And they want to be there for the Magic Kingdom, you know, when the whole thing takes off to fireworks. And uh, I just, it, it, it's hard to imagine the logistics of it, but that's what happens. So he invited one group and, and a lot more people showed up, okay? And then it makes a whole point of the primary business, which is they carry in the Ark, the Aron. So they're going to transport the Aron from point A to point B. Well, point B is going to be the Kodesh Kodashim. What is point A? The answer is, if you recall, that um, when the Philistines captured the Ark, they eventually had to give it back because of the hemorrhoids and all that. Now, when they gave it back, it ended up here, it ended up there, it ended up there until David and Malch actually brought it to Jerusalem and put it in a tent. And that's where it was during the time of David. It's in a tent. Now it's going to be transported from the tent to the uh, new place. Okay? Now listen closely. Vayalos Arnashem. Okay, I understand that. <clears throat> that makes sense. The Arn Hashem is the, the, the box that has the Ten Commandments. Okay, there's only one of those. I'm putting aside the question if there was a, a second Arn for the battles. Let's let's drop that for a minute. Let's go push for that. There's one Arn. And, um, you know, the Arn wants to be in Kodesh Kodesh. Used to be in, in the Mishkan, now it's moving Kodesh Kodesh. <clears throat> but that's not all. Vayalos Arn Hashem, Vez Ohel Moed, Vez Kolkleya Kodesh Hashem Ba'ohel. So he brought the Ohomoe. He brought the Mishkan, you know, what, 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 what was supposed to be like the Kodesh Kodashim of the Mishkan, and they brought that into the base Hamigdash. Okay? Now, what's he going to do with that? What are you doing, the, the, the Ohomoe? Okay? Um, what's that doing in the base Hamigdash? Which raises the interesting question what happened with leftover stuff from the Mishkan now that you have? A base amygdus. It's not a problem with the Ark that has the Ten Commandments in it, the Arum, because that is obviously going to new quarters. What do you do with all the, all the old furniture? And Shlomo Mel brings it in here, um, and that's fascinating. Okay? Now, where, where, what did they do with it? They put it in the Geniza. In other words, they put it in um, same idea. means over here, Put in one of the rooms in the basement, above ground, below ground, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean they, they stashed it away. So, uh, this is um, just interesting that the temple building, when it stood, the King Solomon's temple, had rooms that had the Mishkan stuff in it, whatever survived the Philistine sack. sack. And it's a Tosefto, I repeat a Tosefto, in Yuma. I'm sorry, not Yuma Soto. I have to tell you. So one of the most interesting things you can do if you want to, if you're interested in an interesting limu, which is different than other Toseftas, if you take the trouble to do the Tosefta and Sota, um, it's not like the other, it's not technical. And it's full of all kind of chronological and Tanakh type stuff, uh, which would surprise you. Uh, because as they said before, that's the nature of the Tosefta and Sota. Many, many people are not familiar with that, I'm sure most. And it's actually really cool. It's a lot of fun. So if you're a shul rabbi out there and you're looking for something to do in the summer 
on Shabbos and Shul. My advice is you do the Tosefta on Sota. You just do a little bit of homework. And for example, if you look at Paragud Gimel, which I'm doing at this minute, it says in the Tosefta, I want to remind you, the Tosefta is before the Gemara. The Gemara quotes from the Tosefta. It's a Tanaitic literature like the Mishnah. So it's of, of, of great authority. <laughs> and the Tosefta says, Misha, the Gemara does quote this in Sota somewhere in Tough Test, whatever. Misha Nivna Bayis Arishan. When Shlomo Milch built the Bayis Rishon, Nignas Olmoid. So the Olmoid, which was left over from the Mishkan, was Geniza there, which really means put it into a room. It doesn't mean burying the ground. And all the stuff that goes along, you know, with the with with the, with the furniture, the base of Mish, whatever of the Mishkan, whichever survived the Philistine onslaught. So Krosov, Krosov, Brichov, and the bars and all that stuff. Isn't that interesting? Be'avo became. I'm reading the Tosefta now, not me. Be'avo became lohim asham shenel b'sholchan shalosim Moshe. Even though Shlomo Melch had brand new stuff everywhere, but the sholchan, right? Which means in the Bayis Rishon, when they had the showbread, there's three items of furniture in the kodesh, not the kodesh, the kodesh and the kodesh. There's the menorah. There's the golden spice altar. And then there's the table for the showbread. So that one, even in the time of Shlomo, um, it says, Okay? Isn't that remarkable? So, they had, I mean, it's just cool. If you were, you know, Bayes Rishon was a couple hundred years. When it was there, if it wasn't sacked, it's not clear, because every once in a while they gave stuff away to Gaisha kings to persuade them to go away, but Assuming that they didn't take away the good stuff, uh, you could actually see in the base of Megdush, in the Kodesh, not the Kodesh of Kodesh, in the Kodesh, you could see uh, the, the, the Mishkan table of Moses, the original. That's what they used. And you could also see the menorah of Moshe and Aaron, the actual physical menorah. Menorah Shasa Moshe Loisitz in the Mishkan, and they didn't have to specially anoint it. And uh, because the Kedusha, we showed the Kedusha, tried to get to the law. So, you know, because because that's Moshe's Kedusha. And so you had that menorah there. Mishanigna's Aaron. Once they put the Aaron away in the temple, Nignas emotes and sent us Amon. So that, it, that's funny. The the jar of the Mon apparently was not put, kept in the box of the Kedusha, Kedusha, of the Aaron. I'm sorry. Mishanigna's Aaron, when they put the Aaron away, that's later in the in the end of the temple. So all the miracles that happened with that stick of Aaron, and um, in the box was also the hemorrhoids, the golden hemorrhoids with the Philistines gave back, which is kind of weird. I mean, that's a Gaisha thing. I mean, I know the story, but it's it's I mean, the the golden hemorrhoids. First of all, ich, but second of all. That's together with the Tzintzenes Amon and the original Slochus Hashem and the Mishra and the stick of Aaron, you know, which sprouted and, and, and all that ba- in, in Bamidbar. Kulam Haibah Beis Kacha Kacha because Shenigdas Aaron, Nigdas Midvarim. And when they, and when they, at the end of the first temple, when this stuff was hidden away, because we don't see it today, um, all these stuff were hidden with it. Okay, now you can hear. Omiganozo, so the Tosefta says, Yoshio. I think many people are familiar with that. They're one of the last kings who saw which way the wind was blowing 
he saw the temple was going to get destroyed, so he put it away. Okay? He says, Piquet Lalavim in the Ganizu. He instructed the ladies to hide it away somewhere, and we believe that that's where it's still hidden over there. Well, wait a minute. Listen closely. That is one view on Chazal. It's not the only view on Chazal. According to that, the Goyim never got it. If this is true, when Nebuchadnezzar sacked the temple and he went into Kodesh Kodashim, he found an empty room. He found an empty room. Why? What happened to the Kruvim and all that business? Nignas. You get it? Snebuchadnezzar found nothing. That's a nice vort. But the Tosefta brings a different opinion. Rebbe Lezomer, this is fascinating. Aron Golalabavel. Right? And he has Sukkim to back it up. So, holy cow. Aron Olabavel. That means that Nebuchadnezzar got his hands on the Ten Commandments. And what happened to it afterwards? That's crazy. Right? That's crazy. Uh, the guy eventually captured the base of Migdash itself. I'm talking about the, uh, the, the thing itself. Now, this is a very interesting Tosefta. And about a month ago, or two months ago, Gideon Miller was here, and he was nice enough to get me the set, um, what do you call it, on the Tosefta Kipshuta, you know, Lieberman's, Preston Lieberman's thing on the Tosefta. He brings all the Marmacomas. Ooh, boy. Uh, some of which are kosher, some of which are less kosher. You just have to know what to pick. But he says something um, very fascinating over here, which confirms what I mentioned a couple weeks ago. I contrasted the way the Shlomo Melch built the base of Migdash, which was top-down, versus Moshe Rabbeinu, who did it from bottom-up. He, he asked for voluntary contributions. And everybody who gave, and it says repeatedly in Vayakhel, and a little bit in Pekudeh, that the people gave him the div lev, from their own heart. And he has here a Seder Elio Rabbah, which says like this, blah, 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 that, um, Reseder Elio Rabbah, it says like this, that eventually, maybe beginning a second temple, or maybe in the future, it's coming back. The Aron and the Mishkan and all that stuff. Right? Now, and the Seder Elio Rabbah goes like this. How come the Mishkan is still around physically? After all, Solomon's temple is utterly destroyed. So much so that there's not a bit of it left today. That's why the Arabs claim there never was such a thing. And the Bayashani is almost totally destroyed, as we know, other than the stuff in the wall and uh, and stuff like that, you know, the, 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 the retaining wall of the Temple Mount. But there's nothing from the base of Migdash. How come the Mishkan is around and the base of Migdash isn't? And the Seder Ali Yorabi says what I said. Isn't that funny? He says... The, the, the Mishkan had the Zechus to survive everything because it was done in a Nadiv Leib, in a voluntary way. That's a, if that's a rabbi speech, I know, you know, it better be. It's doesn't like to put an end to anything that was done in a Nadiv Leib. So when you give money for Tzedakah, now the raising in Ukraine and all this, if you give it from a full heart, not because you have to, as a special status of Rabbanu Shalom, 
Asa Kadosh Baruch Hu Biyashir B'Socho Kamidi Rishonam. And anything that was done in that way with an Adiv Lev, not like Shlomo built a base of Mignosh. Some of you uh, wrote me shot him to try to defend Shlomo, which is fine, I mean, you know, seriously. But I'm, I'm just reading what the Seder El Yorabba says over here. Schar and Shosim and Adiv Lev, any schar that's coming to something when it was done voluntarily, Hashem will do like this. Like it was in round one. So um, that's like a powerful vart. And uh, indeed, it shows you what the issues were when Shlomo was going through this um, major ceremony described in great detail in today's Haftorah. I'm already over time as it is. So at least I gave you a... a uh, intro into the Parsha. And again, if you just take the trouble to read a little bit closely, you'll see a lot of interesting things that wouldn't appear to somebody, I think, when they just listen to it very briefly and superficially in Shul. Once again, I want to thank the Reft Hands, the Shemashin Evan Aliyah, and um, I think that um, it should be a zechus for all of us and for the Jewish people that are right now suffering in the Ukraine. Uh, with that, I wish you all good luck. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.